oh, I had this experience once where I was I was seeing a girl and we were really close and I had to I had to actually leave her house because I, this is when I was on med, like medication and she was like why don't you want to stay and I'm like okay in my head I was like what do I say here and I was like I didn't bring my tablet I need to go home and have it and then she's like haven't heard that one before but tell me more you know and then like this is a while back but it just brought us closer and I felt like I could tell her her anything I'm Alison Rice and welcome to Offline, the podcast. These are honest conversations about true self with the people behind the Instagram accounts and the teachers who help us on our way. A lot has changed since I launched Offline in September 2018. It started as a podcast and thanks to your ongoing support, it turned into a movement. Today, Offline exists to help us explore the essence of who we are and how to live, create and succeed in alignment with that. This is our true self. There's the podcast, a series of online courses I've created with our collective needs in mind and experiences that allow us to connect as a community. Visit getoffline.co to find out more or follow getoffline.co on Instagram. I hope this episode helps you on your way. Thank you for being here. Tom Derrick's mum calls him the dreamer. I love that. The ex-AFL player, builder, sometimes model, and always talented musician stands at nearly seven feet tall. He's one of the kindest and most gentle men I've ever met. Honestly, he floats. Someone I trusted suggested I have an honest conversation with Tom. As you know, Offline exists as an exploration of self. And as we journey deeper, it's important to show both the light and the shade. For some, our sense of self is veiled by anxiety and for others, it's the dark night of depression. In this episode and for the first time, Tom bravely shares the thing he's held closest to him. He struggled with both. Our hope is that for the people listening who are also caring for their mental health or who are maybe the support person or want to find out how to be one, that this honest conversation helps. We also hope we reach young athletes, particularly young men. If you're listening, he wants you to know that there's no bigger sign of strength than expressing your weaknesses and that which is challenging you. Here's wonderful Tom and I for Offline. Is your mum, Chris? Yes. And your dad, Rick? Yeah. Hi, guys. <laughs> Hello, mum and dad. <laughs> Somehow, beautiful Tom has agreed to do this podcast. I'm not um, sure how I got roped into this, son. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd actually love to talk about your mum. Mum's the most beautiful person in the world. Oh, and that makes me she's so She's probably happy. not it. Oh, she might listen. But she really is. Like, she's... She's probably my best mate, along with a lot of other best mates. But the fact that 
Yeah, I can actually say that. I've actually never said that. Um, so is dad, dad. If you love you, dad. Yeah, I love dad too. Ma- me <laughs> and mum have just we're just very similar people. Like we kind of clashed a bit growing up. Well, when I was growing up, not mum, but it was because we were so similar. And now that now that I've matured and I'm not an idiot anymore, kind of, um, <laughs> we just click and like. We just have the best time. Mm. She's funny as. Mm. She's super funny. The most caring person you'll ever meet. Well, I was going to say like, you know, raising three boys Mm. and, you know, being in a household of boys and all of that very sort of like male energy. Like I can imagine she, you know, has a lot of softness because it's like, you know, you said to me that you are competitive, which I want to talk about, but you're yeah. also very sensitive. Yeah. And sure. I'd have to assume that you get that from your mum, you know, and I know oh, that there's that theory sad. that, you know. There's a bit of both. Like, obviously, typically you'd get that sensitive side from your mother, but dad's a bit of a softie. Uh. Yeah. Um, but mum, mum grew up with uh, three sisters on a farm. And her dad, Bill, he's just hard, hard ass. Like, mm. just this awesome guy who just says it how it is. So your granddad? Yeah, my yeah. granddad. So I think she was kind of really stoked to have three boys. Mm. Like, I, I don't know, you might know more, but a, a lot of mums would probably prefer a daughter. I mean, I am absolutely banking on the fact i'm going to have a girl yeah <laughs> yeah i would l- i would love to have a girl yeah i think you know women want to raise women um yeah, yeah. that's such that's like generalizing completely but i do i want like a mini me yeah you'd be a good mum. oh thanks <laughs> <laughs> that's so sweet um but yeah so mum, we just we just click and we we talk every couple of days probably not enough but she's still back home. Mm. And what does she think of your... I mean, we'll talk more about your story, but... Yeah, what does she think about your adventures and travels like you? Yeah, she calls yeah. me the dreamer. Yeah. And... I can't, was it La La Land? That, yeah. Yeah, there's a, I think there's a song called The Dreamer and she just said that's like the soundtrack to your life. And she has my back. Like she's, I'm overly ambitious sometimes and I am a dreamer. And early days she was probably like, yeah, probably just pull back and just enjoy life, and uh, look, which I do, but just take it all in and and don't set these sort of outrageous goals like playing <laughs> AFL and starting a band and touring the world. But I've kind of ticked one of them off. Yeah, and, and you're how old are you? 31. Hmm. So I feel like... Um, I'm 31, but the... The football, six, seven years of football, it's kind of like the analogy of of like Tetris blocks out of oh, my yeah. life. So they've, they're gone and I've just dropped back to 21. 
and I'm feeling like a 21-year-old. Really? In what sense? Just energy and just like super dreaming now. Mm. Yeah. Um, I learned so much about myself throughout my football career. Well, I Um, guess that's the the interesting thing about becoming a professional athlete so young is you also have to step up as a person, you know, because the regime in which you need to live your life is not common for like your teens, you know. No, it's not. And you, and you learn pretty quickly and you learn the hard way. Um, coming from, I guess I was a tradesman, so I was, I was pretty good with my times and getting up early. But then it steps up again when you're representing a football club mm. uh, in, the, in the National League. So, yeah, you've, you've got this extra responsibility. You're not just hammering in nails anymore. You, you're, you're playing a role in the team and you've just got eyes on you from every direction, like yep. coaches, media, teammates, even friends. And some. Did your relationship with your friends change pretty drastically when you got drafted or not? Like how were the people in your life? Because often I find either they're exactly the same, and I know this through people who have gone on to be, I guess, high profile, or they kind of lose the ability to connect. It's just... It's just really hard. Like I've, I've always been blessed with some really close, loyal mates, and lots of them. Um, but then, when you become part of a football club, you've got another forty-two, forty-four best mates that you spend every minute of the day with. Mm. Like I was living with two, three teammates, so they become your mates. Oh, you really close mates very quickly because you kind of share more with them Mm. and then the the tough thing is staying close with your your schoolmates and the and your your the rat pack that you grew up with but i somehow managed to pull that off like apologies to any of the boys that i haven't called for a while but it's hard and it's draining but well because you know the thing people say is oh you've changed yeah but i often wonder about that like have i changed or is has your gaze on me changed i've I've definitely changed but probably for the better Mm. um i mean some would argue that but i i left a small country town to chase a dream and you have to change some aspects of your life to fulfill that Mm. Um, As in no partying? Yeah, I had to cut back on drinking and partying, for sure. Mm. I record on Friday afternoons, so having a sneaky wine isn't uncommon. My producer Darren kindly went out to get Tom and I some rosé, so I'm popping us back in after we'd poured. I had asked Tom about his journey to getting drafted into the AFL. Following some nearly career-ending injuries, things weren't looking good, but after a growth spurt and playing some solid-state footy, he was signed to Richmond on a two-year contract. But then it got hard again, 
and this time it was his mental well-being that got injured. I think what is so worrying for young people playing sport at a professional level is how one small mistake can mean years of torment, guilt and shame. Tom opens up about it. It was still a bit of a far-fetched dream for me to get drafted because I was 21. I had a lot of injuries already, um, but kept playing pretty good football and and kept getting more and more interest as the, as the year went on. And then we watched the draft as a family, like you watch it on Foxtel. It's pretty cool. Cool. And then I was kind of slim, slim chance to get picked up in the national draft. And yeah, my name was read out going to Richmond. So literally phones going off like the coach is ringing captain Trent Cotchin Damien Hardwick calling um coach and captain <laughs> and then t- the next you. day I'm flying to Melbourne my life is just backflipped on itself and my boss my building boss was just you like, like see, see ya, ya buddy <laughs> I'm never touching and a tool like, again. Bye. Now here I am <laughs> on the tools. <laughs> um, but it was a two-year contract, so I was like, oh, how good is that? Two years of not working. Little did I know that football was the toughest thing in the world. Mm. Um, so straight into it. Because like, things weren't good in that chapter, right? No, mm. not really. Um the novelty of getting drafted wears off pretty quick and then you're in the deep end in, in a foreign city so far from home, no close friends and then the pressures I was talking to you about before, you start to learn about them, you start to do some media training, which I'm actually, I actually enjoy the media stuff now but I was horrible back then. I just didn't get it. I didn't mm. know why people were asking me questions and, and it was just just overwhelming. And then, yeah, deja vu. In my first, like, two weeks, I broke my other ankle. And How do they view when, that? It's like if you're two weeks in and you've got a broken ankle, but then do they have to keep you on contract injured? Yeah, yeah. And that's what... That's when it all actually just came crumbling down for me mentally. It was like I was this mature-aged footballer, so they've taken a risk already. And then I'm in getting surgery and I can't walk for six months. So the way I think is a bit different. It's like I, I don't tend to feel sorry for myself or I hate when people feel sorry for me. So I was just like I'm letting the recruiters down, my teammates down, um, my family. Yeah, it was a tough, tough time. Mm. Yeah, it was tough. So did you end up playing for them? I did, yeah, I played. Do you love that I don't know anything about your football career? Love it, love it, it's refreshing. (laughs) No one actually does anyway, so... (laughs) (laughs) Um, I played two games at Richmond, yeah, which is not many over three years. I was wow. Just, yeah. That has to be a massive knock to confidence, though. 
Oh, I was... To I do had, the thing you're paid to no do confidence. twice. I didn't want to go near the, f- the football and the football was something I loved and wanted... I, in my juniors, it was... You'd go hunting for it, you'd want to take marks and that leads me to a pretty funny... Oh, funny now, but another... My second game, actually, I... <laughs> it's actually the funny two, that it, The second of the two, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. I played pretty well in my first. We beat Melbourne, MCG. Um... Second game, Gold Coast, painting a picture for you guys listening. <laughs> Super slippery, dewy conditions. Gold Coast, shit team back then. New to the comp. And we should have gone up there and beaten them. Three minutes to go. Shane Tucks lobbed me this tiny ball and I've just dropped it. Fumbled, tried to pick it up. Someone's picked it up from the other team, kicked the goal. And then uh, Carmichael Hunt kicked the winning goal after that. And I was absolutely gutted for like months. I was getting death threats on Twitter from Richmond Richmond fans saying, if you Jesus. rock up to the MCG next week, we're going to kill you. And this is when I was already like sapped of any confidence. I, like I was rock bottom confidence wise. And then getting those tweets and then t- talking to the club security because like, I was like, genuinely worried about walking to the game. I got dropped after that game, which, which is fair. <laughs> yeah, so look, I, it's something perspective-wise. I look back on it now and I actually laugh and I, t- I tell the story to friends. And, but back then I was so embarrassed. Like, I've just lost a game for my, for my team. And it was the last game I played for them. And I was just developing Ruckman with no confidence. And I'm not pointing fingers at anyone, but like there was no, there was no welfare back then mm. when I was playing. It was just like you dropped a mark, you're a bit flat. And I was, I was probably the first guy to um, openly have a conversation with my coach, Damien Hardwick, who is a close friend of mine and we stay in touch. I walked into his office one day and I was just like, mate, I'm struggling. Mm. And I've, I think I've got depression. And he was like, that's amazing that you can come and talk, tell me that. Mm. And, and what he actually, he spurred you to tell? Like, I mean, not many guys. Yeah, it was hard. It was hard, but it was the biggest weight lifted off my shoulders Like, because I was just training really badly. And he, he was like, I, I knew something was up because we drafted you because of your X factor and you, you take the game on and you do stuff that other big guys can't do. And then I just... I was just going through the motions of training and avoiding taking risks, which is what makes a good footballer. And he was like, I knew something was up and I'm so grateful that you you see me as an approachable person. And then that's what brought us together. And then that triggered everything else in terms of me getting some good help in the club, like getting a good psychologist. And Did they have one? Yeah, they did, but I feel like... Me speaking up and then telling some teammates. The the AFL now is a beautiful place to be mm. in a bad way. It really is. You must feel proud 
to have affected change in that? Yeah, I've first time I've spoken about it, and yeah, I, I am proud because um, change would have come, and and someone would have spoke up, and but not it not only changed the football club. But it changed me, and then because he it was like because he knew that I was struggling, I could, I was, I felt free again on the football field, and mm. I felt like if I drop a mark, like who cares, mm. like whatever. Perspective wise, it's just like you're dropping a bit of leather. <laughs> yeah. And there's kind I of started, like you're built up for that to be the only thing that matters, right? Like that's I think part of what's challenging about young men or women in sport and you know becoming a professional athlete before you've even developed your sense of self yeah at all like I wonder if you can talk a bit about like the pressures and also like what it felt like to have all eyes on like I like I couldn't have done media at what were you like 20 21 21 21 yeah like it's a lot to put on people if there's no support yeah. structure That's, around it. Yeah, it's just like they tried they tried teaching us and I respect that, but it was just um you're so young and you, you they kinda should protect you instead of training you. Mm. If that makes sense. I remember like my first few days I was like literally put in front of the group to do like a pretend interview and I just melted but role plays hard anyway <laughs> it's like this isn't just, real this is I dumb. actually just froze and I actually enjoy the media now like I love talking and I'm so open to be vulnerable and, and whatnot but that was the first time I'd, I'd had to do anything in the media and it wasn't even in the media it's just like in front of my teammates and like you know what boys are like they're mm. kind of you'd almost rather do it in front of 50 cameras mm. not your teammates and I just melted and then look I don't know how it flicked for me becoming good mm. in the media but I wasn't good at the start mm. well I think I would have to imagine it's it's what you've spoken about which is the moment you gain perspective and then I think anyone who has suffered darkness mm. and has come out the other side yeah I think the way I don't know, I, I actually won't even attempt to speak on your behalf or anyone's behalf who has suffered depression. But surely it puts a new lens on Yeah, everything. perspective is huge. Hmm. Perspective is huge. And sometimes all it takes is just like I was saying before, go home and back to your roots. And hmm. Do you think a lot of those boys perhaps did and maybe still do suffer in silence or do you think yeah, big that time. do you think mental health is perhaps more sort of prominent and sort of vocalized now i mean the stigma's still there mm. but it's the vulnerable side is becoming a strength i think like there's nothing more courageous in my opinion because I, like, I love talking about it but when someone and I feel like when I do talk about it 
people come to me, mm. friends, family, whatnot, and just open up and it's like liberating and it's just it's when you see a vulnerable side to someone, you feel like you can tell them anything and it, and it just brings you closer. Like I've had vulnerable chats with both my brothers and it's brought us super tight. Like we've always been tight, but it's brought us even closer. Mm. My best mates, my best mate from music in KX, Pulasi, um and vulnerability is... is a huge show of strength, I think. Mm. But I worry for some boys that are maybe growing up in an environment where that is not championed or encouraged yeah. to speak about. One one good thing about, um, I feel like the, the city, like Sydney, is it's championed more than a country town like Dunsborough, mm. where... Um, I'm sure when my friends hear this podcast, if they listen, um, they'll be like, wow, why is he saying that? I can't believe he's talking about that. (laughs) What a pussy. Yeah, what a pussy. Um, What do you have to say to them? That's what they need. Like, Mm. hopefully it's like, I mean. Well, this is that whole concept of toxic masculinity. Yeah, big time. You know. And it will it will get to those country towns, I hope, with mm. um, people like myself becoming vulnerable. I've got some really good friends that do a lot of good work in the in the field. Um, uh, this guy um, Brendan, he does Herman's hands. Mm. His um, his dad committed suicide, and he was mm. a very He's the type of guy that just you would never think would do it. And he's just spreading awareness. He's just Brendan's just this beautiful man. He's got the biggest eight pack you'll ever see. <laughs> so after this chat I'll show you a photo. Um he's a great example of a masculine guy trying to break down that barrier. Um and it, to me, it makes him look so much stronger when he's talking openly about it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. What, um, I wonder whether this might be a good time to talk perhaps directly to women listening or maybe men listening to. I'm getting some male listeners. Yeah. You might yeah. attract some more for me. Mm-hmm. Um Maybe we could talk directly to the women listening who are perhaps the support person for their partner or their brother or their dad or a male friend. What did you need in those dark days? Like what advice would you have for us? Yeah, I guess I got to a point where I had nothing left but that option to talk because it was affecting my career. But to answer your question, I guess going back to my point of being, when you're vulnerable to your partner or, or whatnot and you, it kind of triggers them to maybe talk as mm-hmm. well. So it's back on that communication thing and just like not asking, like not 
Because that's the thing. No, it's like, you have, yeah. are you okay? Are you and, good? Like, it's yeah. more like, gee, I had a shit day. Like, I'm not feeling it. And then maybe they're like, yeah, you know what? I've had a pretty shit week. And then, oh, why? You know? It's mm. just that subtle conversation, I think. It's not, how you going, mate? Good. Cheers. See ya. See ya. <laughs> mm. It's like, just... Creating an entry point. Entry point's crucial, yeah. And sometimes, it, like, I'm not saying you should drink, but going out for a beer or, like, just dinner and having a couple of drinks and it's more like, not the alcohol, it's just the environment where you can feel like you can talk. And then I think it's getting on the front foot and maybe saying something that you're not coping well with. Mm. And if you're killing it at, at everything, then make something <laughs> <good> up. On, yeah. <laughs> make something up. Move on. Yeah. <laughs> make Just saying, it's up. like yeah, it's like show show yours. Show your vulnerable So they side, share yeah. share theirs. Yeah, I love that, and it's huge for me. And I try to I try to bring it into every relationship that I have, and not in an awkward way. Just be like. Fuck, I had a rough day. I'm not I'm not sleeping well or um I'd love beer. And then it's like, yeah, me too. And then that's then it's just click. And then You're the in. why aren't you sleeping well? Yeah. Yeah. Well what what well why was your week shitty, you know? But yeah, that's a big one. It's a key to unlocking someone and supporting is you yourself being vulnerable Mm. and proud of it yes have you found in your romantic relationships (laughs) why are you giggling (laughs) (laughs) um have you found it difficult to have those discussions or have you found it to be more comfortable speaking to women about? I find it really easy mm. because often the girls I meet and, and hang out with think that I'm fine, almost too fine, you know, on paper, like what I've done. It's You do look cool. pretty good on paper. <laughs> I've done some mm. pretty cool shit and like... You kind of want to bring it back to an even ground by like saying saying something that isn't going that well. Mm. And then that's when the conversations start and that's when you bond even more. Mm. And they're the conversations that I love and being able to... Oh, I had this experience once where I was I was seeing a girl and we're really close and I had to I had to actually leave her house because I, this is when I was on med, like medication and she was like why don't you want to stay and I'm like okay in my head I was like what do I say here and I was like I didn't bring my tablet I need to go home and have it and then she's like I haven't heard that one before but tell me more you know and then like this is a while back but it just brought us closer and I felt like I could tell her 
her anything, you know, mm. um, because it's just blatantly what happened, you know, it's yeah. true. And um, well, I think that's the same as like whether it's a romantic relationship or a friendship or a like a working relationship with colleagues, like my experience has been some people can hold space for your stuff and be there with you and some people, because they haven't processed their own stuff, mm. they can't show up for you. Yeah. And so I'm always trying to identify. It's not because you don't want to be there for me or you don't want to ask how mm. I am. It's that maybe, A, you're not okay. But if you haven't done that self-work conversations mm. like this or perhaps that can feel super heavy yeah, and, I think the and next confronting. Com- yeah, exactly. The next conversation we had was sorry, about about her um, therapist or mm. her struggles and um, which is, yeah, beautiful. Um, That's my favourite thing to do is to say I've, Got to go home and have a tablet. Well, no, not a tablet, but like... (laughs) It's a good one. See a therapist or that I have seen a therapist because the same as you people go, oh, but you've got it all together. Mm. And it's like we all got to talk about our stuff. And like no one's... fully together. No. No. And if they do, they're fucking lying. Or if they say they do, they're lying. They're robotic. Yeah. Or loaded. Or do they all loaded? (laughs) Financially or... What else? (laughs) (laughs) What else is loaded? There's another way of being loaded. Anyway. (laughs) Um, I would like to talk about... These days, Tom is in a band with his best mate, Palazzi. It's called KX. If you follow him on Instagram, you'll see them gigging around Sydney, sometimes for really cool brands like Louis Vuitton. Very cool. In the context of self, I wanted to know about going from AFL to dance music. It feels like quite the leap. Started, oh, me and Palacios, mm. uh, one of my best mates from home, moved over and I was like, mate, let's start taking this music thing seriously. And, and The ambition again. Yeah, and then the ambitions fired up again. And I was over football, but I was still playing. And we started KX and it started in his bedroom. What does KX stand for or mean? It's half, it's, um, so it's half, his surname is Kalis. I gotcha. Kalis and Derek. Derek. So KX was born in in a little um, Darlinghurst apartment. And that was something that really just, Gave me more ambitions and more dreams, and and I kind of need those things to get out of bed. Um, and he's hanging out with your best mate every day, writing music. Is like beautiful, beautiful. And we released a song while I was playing at the Swans, and I actually sing. Believe it or not, and you be careful. I'll make you sing right now. <laughs> and. Releasing a song, like hmm. and singing, like and showing and being your teammates, this big macho a, footballer. Wow, wait, that was probably the <laughs> hardest thing I've ever done. <laughs> and they're like, "That's not you singing." Like, not that I'm a good singer, but like, 
I don't sound like I am now, like slow and yeah. I yeah. can't wait to go and listen. Yeah, have a listen. I'm a bit shit. I haven't really done much research, has I? Yeah, you are shit. No, Sorry. Yeah, so... Well, I was least... interested to talk to you from a blank slate, actually. That means a lot. Mm. Thanks. It's okay. Um, so, the song didn't go that well. But, <laughs> 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 but it was a start. And all that, it broke the ice of, oh, Tom's... Tom and Palasi make music and Tom sings now. And it was kind of like... Tom sings now. Yeah, it's like, oh, here we go. Here's another... Another slashy. I reckon it's taken me three three years to get some respect in the music industry. That's pretty fucked. Very. Mm. But no one's really done it. So it's kind of like no one's really gone football into music. Mm. And both... Well, I tell you what, like I've always said that it's lonely leading. Yeah. It's lonely. Doing shit that people don't understand or aren't sure of or haven't done before or too scared to do. Yeah. It's lonely. Yeah, and maybe it was an ego thing. Like I wanted to I loved playing in front of people. Mm. And I was scared of not being able to feel that adrenaline. That's interesting. Again. To so there's something and I was there like, for you, What's the performance. An industry that you, it's pretty relatable in mm. terms of know, yeah, music. So you're a performer then? Yeah, I like to think so. Mm. Yeah, I love the creative side of music, and but I love the shows more. Mm. Um, I played better football when I had confidence and I... We play better shows than we've practiced, and now that we've got respect, I think we do. We, it, I think it shows when we're on stage. Like we played at Field Day, which is a pretty big festival on New Year's Day, and we, we, it just felt like everything just clicked, mm. and it was like, okay, not Tom the footballer, it's Tom the. Tom from KX. And KX is like, it's more than just that band. It's like, it represents a lot of different things. Mm. Maybe That's the. Nice. I haven't really thought about what it represents. Maybe it's the closure on a few things and just really becoming the, the Tom. That I'm slowly working at being. Mm. <laughs> I learnt um, Vedic meditation. Oh, yeah. Unreal. I want to do that. Oh, my God. Okay, I'm going to introduce you yeah. to one of... What's the difference between that mm. and the transcendental? Well, you know, this is one of the most common questions I've had since my episode with Bondi Meditation Center's Matt Ringrose went live. Vedic meditation is based on exactly the same principles as the more widely known transcendental meditation. The difference is teachers of Vedic are independent and not part of the TM organisation. P.S. Tom did go and learn with Matt. Yeah, I want to do it. I, I, I meditate every day. Oh, do you? Yeah, but just like headspace apps and 
That's, that's the best thing because that's the entry point. Competitive nature coming back. Like, yeah. I'm like, how many days in a row can I get? Can I <laughs> meditate? And I'm like, shit, um, I'm back to zero. I have to introduce you to um, Matt Ringrose who taught me. He's this, a DJ. A you plug? might know him. Is this your first plug? Fontaimeditation.com.au <laughs> mm, um, 10% off. But I will introduce you to him because he um, – He's, I'd love to do it. Yeah, it's changed my life and his teaching style I think you would really enjoy actually. Yeah, it's a discipline thing for me. Mm. Did you find that? 20 minutes twice a day. I meditated yeah. before you came in. And does it give you some more energy? You know, I'm just in the world in a different way. Yeah, it's hard when you're a carpenter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one moment. I'm but like, this is the thing. Drop like, saw. I've meditated in public toilets, in my mm. car, like what I'm learning is I just have to get it in. Yeah, right. And then when I'm in it, try not to rush through the process of that like ability to surrender. I'm learning a lot about that. So surrendering into the meditation, which has enabled me to surrender in all different types of my life as well. Yeah, so that's, a, that's great. Yes. And maybe that's uh, something I can bring into a building site. Yeah. Imagine, I'd probably be the first guy to meditate on a, on a building Well, we've established site. that you like to be, the you're first. good on the firsts. I actually have um, one final question for you that I yeah. ask each of my guests. Yep. And then I have a few quick fire questions oh, from no. listeners. What do we got? So, um, offline exists as an exploration of self. Mm-hmm. And who are we without the labels that we put on ourselves or perhaps society puts on us? So ex-footballer, DJ, carpenter, all of these labels. Mm. So when you take all of those away and you're sitting in true self, it's expansive, get ready. (laughs) Like how? who are you? And I guess how do you think about it's the self with a capital S, right? Yeah. What a great question. Thank you. It's re- I, yeah, I can't remember any of it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, no. I've had to answer it myself and it wasn't easy actually. I went to sort of like characteristics. Well, maybe it's the Tom that was in, in Dunsborough, you know, that before all this happened. And I'd like to get back to him at some point because he didn't have a care in the world apart from his friends and family and good waves, mm. you know. So the labels you speak of, I think, I'm assuming you mean like your social media statuses mm-hmm. and, and where you stand in, in your current field, job, whatever. And yeah, it's just like... I'm at a point now where I'm so content with who I am and what I've done. And I'm I'm kind of past the point of being a social media superstar. Mm. <laughs> it's just too hard. And I think that that'll, that'll come from me being me and, and writing music that comes from a place of the Tom from Dunsborough. Mm. Yeah. That's great. Is it? That is so good. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, because that's who I am, I guess. Mm. 
before Instagram. I know, it came and shat all over our lives. Literally. Mm. Not literally. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Offline. Visit getoffline.co to explore more episodes, the online courses I've created to help you succeed consciously, and upcoming community events. Follow getoffline.co on Instagram and me. My handle is Alison Larson Rice. Lastly, if you know someone who would benefit from hearing these honest conversations, please share offline with them.